Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffBeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon History Podcast. It's Monday, so this is an archive show. First published as a newspaper column sometime in the last 10 years. Thanks for downloading, and I hope you enjoy the show. This story was first published on November 20th of 2016, under the headline, Once the West Coast's Soggiest Town, Valsets is Now a Memory. Here we go. If you should ever get really lost while exploring the spaghetti tangle of forest service routes and old logging roads in the coast range woodlands west of Falls City, you just might stumble upon the mortal remains of a tiny timber town there. To be sure, there won't be much to stumble on. Just a few overgrown streets with the bare concrete foundations of some long-gone industrial structures nearby. This is all that remains of the town of Valsets, Oregon. Valsets was one of the little logging company towns that once dotted the more remote parts of Oregon's timberlands. In the early to mid-1990s, there were many of these. Wendling, down in the forest outside Marcola, was another one that's gone today. Chevlin, the portable town that moved on the company railroad whenever the local timber supply started to run low, was another. And a number of little Oregon towns that still exist today got their start as logging company property, including Brookings, Seneca, Hines, and Gilchrist. Valsets was unusual, though, in several ways. To start with, there was the rain. Valsets was located squarely in the middle of one of the wettest spots on the West Coast. It got 120 inches of rain a year, four times as much as the towns of the Willamette Valley and more than any other town or city on the West Coast, although Forks, Washington is very close at 119.7. Also, during its 1930s heyday, when it boasted a population of more than a 1,000, Valsets had a nationwide reputation for journalism. Thanks to the nine-year-old editor of the Valsets star, Dorothy Ann Hobson, more people nationwide knew the name of Valsets than any other Oregon town besides Portland and Salem. Subscribers to her charming news reports included Eleanor Roosevelt, Herbert Hoover, and several radio personalities who regularly read them over the air. The town of Valsets was founded just after the First World War, when the Cobbs and Mitchell Timber Company figured out that it was going to have to do something expensive if it wanted to be able to continue its logging operations in the coast range. The company's property was deep in the mountains, near the Forest Service property known today as the Valley of the Giants, the most productive timber-growing land in the country, or nearly so. But what was good for growing trees wasn't so great for growing a labor force. The nearest town was dozens of grueling, muddy miles away. Before the war, when the woods teemed with itinerant young bachelors willing to work in rough logging camps for months on end, this wasn't such a problem but with the end of the war, the culture was changing in a far more family-oriented way. Labor shortage was a real danger if the company continued relying on the dwindling supply of bachelor loggers. So the company built a new sawmill, deep in the heart of its timberlands at the terminus of the Valley and Siletz Railroad, and platted a town around it, Valsets. By the 1950s, when it was at its peak, Valsets included a school district, a company store, a company cafeteria restaurant, and a two-lane bowling alley. Nearby, the Siletz River had been dammed up to form Valsets Lake, which did double duty as mill pond and fishing hole. 
crime, with the exception of poaching, was virtually non-existent. After all, everyone who lived in the town worked for Cobb and Mitchell, and no outsider was going to travel 30 miles on muddy logging roads or buy a railroad ticket to come to Valsets and steal things. There was no police department, and also, because the whole town was on private land, many state laws didn't apply there. Thirteen-year-old kids regularly drove cars and rode motorcycles on its streets. From the standpoint of the people living there, probably the best thing about Valsets was the wildlife. The town had its own herd of elk, and the lake teemed with fish, trout mostly, until the late 1950s when somebody stocked it with bass. The deep woods were just outside town, beckoning youngsters for overland adventures and older folks for deer and elk hunts. Valsets was a sportsman's paradise. It wasn't a timber company's paradise, though. Not in the 1980s, after the last of the old-growth trees had been cut down and processed into lumber. By 1983, Valsets was a very different town than it had been 20 years earlier. Boise Cascade had bought the town and the timberlands in 1959, but by then much of the good old growth was already gone. When it was all depleted a decade or so later, the sawmill was converted into a plywood operation, and it soldiered on for a few more years, keeping fewer and fewer people employed and looking less and less well-kept. Well, making plywood at Valsets was all well and good during the building boom of the 1970s when the money was still rolling in. But with the onset of stagflation and recession at the end of the decade, things started looking really grim for Valsets. When there had been old-growth logs to cut up, it had made great sense to run a mill there. But running a plywood operation smack in the middle of the best tree-growing land in the United States made no sense at all. Moreover, by the early 1980s, the closure of federal lands to logging, this was the spotted owl era, remember, had put the big companies on notice that if they were going to survive, it would be on company-owned land. Boise Cascade couldn't afford to have the very best of those lands occupied by unnecessary lakes and superfluous sawmills in half-inhabited towns. So as other loggers and sawmill workers around the state were trying to find a new career, the people of Valsets were put on notice that they'd have to find a new home, too. This was especially harsh for those who had grown up in Valsets and thought of it as home. Moreover, because they'd had their housing provided for free, they'd not had a chance to build equity in a home. They'd be starting from scratch, late in the game in a new and unfamiliar community. Quote, Now I know how boat people feel, one of them told the Corvallis Gazette Times reporter at the time. Local salvage companies tried to work out an arrangement with Boise Cascade, but by now the railroad line had been taken up, and the only way to get the houses out was on trucks, over 16 miles of primitive roads to Falls City. Boise Cascade wanted the town gone right away, so that the land it sat on could get back to producing logs for the company's mills immediately, and the salvage companies couldn't meet the company's timeline. So the entire town was bulldozed into a giant heap of rubble and burned. And today, all that's left is that odd street grid, the foundation of the mill, and the bittersweet memories of its former inhabitants. Key sources in this story included works by Linda Carlson, the Corvallis Gazette Times, the Sacramento Bee, and valsets.homestead.com. That's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. What you've been listening to is one of more than 500 stories originally created and published as newspaper columns in first-run syndication between 2008 and today. You can read them all at offbeatoregon.com. Other Offbeat Oregon goodies include an active Facebook page, a Twitter feed, a ton of historic photos, and a bunch more stuff, plus a book. 
including visuals for today's show and full citations to sources. All these things are accessible via our hub page at offbeatoregon.com. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license. For details, see offbeatoregon.com slash cc. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Facara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatoregon.com. Episodes of Offbeat Oregon History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. (laughs) ¶¶